It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here because we have a few things to talk about today. Later on in this episode, we're going to look at some complicated issues surrounding Crisis Text Line. You may have heard me list Crisis Text Line in the credits of this show as somewhere that you can turn if you're in crisis, along with the phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. But I have paused the habit of putting the text line in the credits lately because there was some controversy about it involving some privacy issues. I wanted to fully consider that situation and learn as much as I could about it. This week, we look into that controversy so we can all understand it. We'll also have a meditation moment, but first, watching stuff on TV. There's a new television show premiering on Netflix that deals very heavily with depression, anxiety, rage issues, postpartum depression, a variety of mental health topics. It takes a carefully considered approach. It was made in consultation with psychologists and psychiatrists. It also happens to feature monsters who have sex in the break room of an office where they work. And it has creatures like shame wizards, depression kitties, and anxiety mosquitoes. The show is called Human Resources. It's a spin-off of the Netflix animated show Big Mouth, which is a comedy about the painful awkwardness of puberty. Human Resources is a comedy mostly about the painful awkwardness of having emotions when you're any age. It can get very graphic in language, pretty gross at times. It's really funny and smart. It's well-made. It's animated. It's not meant for kids. It's meant for me, and maybe for you too, because I'm very interested in mental health and comedy and art. I'm interested in how someone can take complex topics like mental health, emotional well-being, the often messy business of having a heart and brain, and turn such abstract things into a piece of art that can be experienced by others. Because that's a challenge, right? Ever try to describe, for instance, the meaning of shame? Brene Brown does a pretty good lecture about it. Human Resources has actor David Thewlis playing something called a shame wizard. There you are, Mummy. Oh, I've been searching high and low. Well, you found me. What fortune. Indeed. Yes, I brought you a special present. Look, shame tears. They're fresh from that tortured husk of a new mother I told you about. I'll pass. Kitty cracked a jar of her depression tears, and frankly, I'm still a bit goose. Ugh, depression tears? But, Mummy, I harvested these shame tears myself. It was hard. It was very hard, but I did it for you. <laughs> oh, please don't laugh at me, please, Mummy. No, I'm sorry, darling. You just made such a face. It was so hard, Mummy. <laughs> it's pronounced... No, listen, shut up. It's pronounced Mummy. Oh, Lionel, come back. We'll miss you too much. <laughs> That was Helen Mirren as a mother shame wizard and Maria Bamford as a depression kitty. Good casting on this television program. I spoke with one of the creators of both Human Resources and Big Mouth, the comedian and actor Nick Kroll. You might have seen him on shows like The League or Parks and Recreation. Kroll Show was his own sketch comedy show. We were also joined by Brandon Kyle Goodman, who's a writer and actor on Human Resources. I asked Nick Kroll who he plays on the show. I voice Maury the Hormone Monster and Rick the Hormone Monster, both of which had begun on, on Big Mouth, you know, Human Resources being a spin-off of the 
animated show, Big Mouth. Hormone monsters are the monsters that inspire us to uh, act on our sexual desires or rage or uh, anything that hormones tend to play into in our in our day to day lives. Okay, and Brandon, you are Walter. Tell us about Walter. Yes, I'm Walter the Love Bug, which uh, Walter got introduced on season five of Big Mouth and now is on the spinoff Human Resources. Uh, and Walter is exactly what it is. like He represents love. He also can represent hate. And I think that he is one of the most chaotic creatures <laughs> on <laughs> the show, which is very fun to play. Tell us about the the workplace. Tell us about the world of these characters. Where do they spend their their days and time? So you know, we we had built in at the end of season two of Big Mouth. We sort of introduced this workplace where the monsters at the time we really just knew the hormone monsters and the shame wizard at that point. So this is uh, it's called Human Resources, and it's all of the creatures that oversee the breadth of human experience and emotions and feelings. So we have hormone monsters and love bugs, hate worms, depression kitties, shame wizards, anxiety mosquitoes, ambition gremlins. So they're really the, the, the creatures that govern uh, how, how humans behave. But it's also just a workplace, you know, where they deal with regular workplace issues of people who drink too loudly or people uh abusing uh, the common fridge <laughs> so it's it's all it's all elements of that i think brandon is that fair have i no that's I totally said? fair yeah yeah it's like we're doing our job but also you know the creatures have office dynamics like everybody else yes <laughs> right but have sex in the break room perhaps more than <laughs> sure 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 i mean i don't know where like everybody HR works i don't HR. know how everybody's offices work <laughs> how did this show come about i mean it, it comes from big mouth but but uh how did the idea to to do the spinoff to make this show that's fundamentally about people's emotional and mental health issues? How did that come about? Well, I think it started again when we had built this world where we we peeked up behind the curtain to see where these monsters worked, and and the further we got into making Big Mouth, the more we just kept falling more and more in love with these creatures and realized they had stories of their own to tell, and. Really, you know, Big Mouth is about kids going through puberty and adolescence and early sexual development, which is obviously a very rich area uh, that we continue to mine. But there are so many more stories that we wanted to tell about the human experience that you just can't do when you're focused on, on servicing these kids' stories. So it felt like an opportunity for us to begin to tell different kinds of stories about the, the human experience. Which I think, you know, and and Brandon can speak to this in, in, in with the kinds of stories that Walter finds assignments that Walter has down in the world, and and you know, I, I think it, it it really lends itself to telling all these more more complicated, nuanced stories about different parts of the human experience. You know, I think we just as writers would, would sit around and have conversations. Um, obviously, there was already kind of uh, we had a bunch of creatures that existed and there was already like a framework of what human resources is. But there was just more kind of world building and fleshing out like who are these characters outside of the kids and who are they in their personal lives and what are they up to? And then what are their kind of interpersonal dynamics inside of the office? And it was really fun because 
I think coming into the show, uh, Big Mouth at season four, so much of it was already established. So you're just like adding to what was already there. But to be a part of Human Resources, which is kind of starting kind of from the ground, um, was kind of a free-for-all. Because you're just like, oh, anything's possible. Uh, we just have to see what feels the best and what's going to serve the stories. You know, this idea that we want to tell stories about adults and more of the human experience. So what's going to serve that the best? Sure. It's a show that, in watching it, I was really impressed that you guys have, have done your homework on it. It has a, you know, we're a mental health podcast for the most part, and the show has a very clear idea of what depression is and, and what it isn't. What kind of work went into making sure that the psychology of it was accurate, the psychiatry of it, you know, the making mm. sure that when you talked about something like depression or anxiety, that you got it right? As a writer, it's my favorite part of being a part of this show is that I was so overwhelmed by the fact that, you know, Nick and Andrew and Mark and Jen make a point to bring in experts. So obviously the writers have their own experiences with mental health. And I think I think all of us are in therapy mm-hmm. <laughs> or have been in therapy. But then there's also like the bringing in of different experts and people who do have these different experiences and their identities and talking to them and, and, and really opening the floor for them to share their stories so that we can kind of use it and tell the stories within the characters, which is honestly my favorite part. It's like, it's like a when in school when like you could watch a movie <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. the, that's the equivalent like when we have a guest come in and tell about their experience it's so much fun it works in that our you know we've got an amazing support staff and producers at Kelsey Cressman who's been a rose through the ranks on Big Mouth and and now Human Resources and but she's a producer on the show and and they we've we venture to find experts in the field whether we're talking about anxiety or shame you know back on on big mouth we were just listening to Brene brown talk about shame and Uh it really informed the shame wizard uh for anxiety we brought in some therapists uh did did some research but also brought in some therapists to talk about uh and and every one of those conversations ends up bringing us in material so in in we're talking to a therapist about anxiety and what what ways we didn't want to just present people being anxious. Are there solutions? Are there tools for people to manage their anxiety? And you know, what he said is like, really, it comes down to breathing and gratitude. Out of that comes, you know, literally in that session, it's like, oh, well, then let's create the gratitude. You know, what's a personification of the idea of gratitude? We also talk to kids around Big Mouth. We talk to kids and we talk to sex education experts. And it's always informative. It always helps us try to get it right. It always pushes us to, as you're saying, to kind of get the psychology and the psychiatry of it right. I will also just say our writers, I mean, not surprisingly, our writers have suffered from anxiety and depression <laughs> yes. and have their different versions of what anxiety and depression are. And you're trying to build a story that is a specific story, but isn't the. we're not claiming that it's the universal story. That's why we also now have different depression kitties and and because everybody's depression is different and everyone wants and needs their depression you know a big thing that our writers were advocating for was you can't just vanquish depression like you can't just send the depression kitty away yeah you got to manage it you got to develop a relationship exactly. exactly you have to learn to embrace your shadow you have to learn to embrace that your depression kitty has a seat at the table and the show is really about how humans and these monsters and creatures now are figuring out how to have a 
you know, a big tent. Everyone, everyone deserves a seat at the table because everyone is there for a reason, whether you want them or not. And you have to learn to manage them and, and work with them. So would you have like a Zoom call where today's depression day and, and then Thursday we're going to handle, you know, uh, grief or handle anxiety and then a guest in the middle and a bunch of writers lobbing them questions? I would say it's more like this is the story we're telling this episode. This is a story, you know, one of my favorite episodes of the season is this episode about a, a woman who has dementia and Brandon's character, Walter, is her love bug. And we are watching a woman, an elderly woman in decline, and we're seeing slowly her creatures receding away from her life as, as she gets closer to dying. And Brandon's character of Walter is her love bug, is the, is the final remaining character. And because she, and she is remembering an early love that she had as a, as a young woman in Lebanon, and Walter is really focused on that. And so it's, less like today we'll talk about dementia, tomorrow we'll talk about depression, tomorrow we'll talk about love. It's really like today we're talking about this woman and her experience and also her son and her granddaughter's experience of dealing with someone with dementia and whose creatures are going to play a part in all of those storylines. So it's always a combo platter of this sort of these stews that we're building for each character and certain stews are going to have much stronger flavors. So in the case of now, and Brandon's performance in that with Walter as Walter with this woman is so funny, but moving and beautiful and incredible. I found incredibly emotional. Um, yeah. Well, Brandon, you're in, in the middle of that. Like how, what's going through your mind in, in crafting how that character moves through that situation to make sure that you're getting it, that you're doing it in a responsible way, in a truthful way, even though you're playing a, a, a magical bug. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, I think that's the cool thing about the creatures is that they feel so human in many ways <laughs> and they, and they, they have all the emotions that we have. Um, for me with that particular episode, which is also one of my favorites, it reminded me of my grandmother and my experience with my grandmother. And I didn't have the maturity at the time of my grandmother's passing, which was like 10 years ago to be the Walter and to like stick by it and fight for mm. it. It was very much the Natalie who was like, uh, what's going on with grandma? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I don't really know. Yeah. And so I really saw it as an opportunity to kind of honor my grandmother, if that makes sense. Like to like, mm. what, what would that experience be like if I could do it all over again? And mm. so I think that's where I, that's where I, I brought Walter from was like, there's so much love and passion here, but then like the fight, to hold on and then eventually releasing and, and what that, that pain is. Yeah. I pulled from, from some real shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's expand on that. How did you both draw on your own experiences with mental health and obstacles you've run into along the way? Like how do you use that knowledge and that wisdom without, you know, touching on too tender of a place and without kind of uh, messing yourself up in the process how conscious mm -hmm. was that was that approach well for me you know big mouth has been six seasons of <laughs> a deep dive into you know it's 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 loosely autobiographical about my my adolescence and you know puberty and and ha and how that then 
has affected me as a person. And there's been a lot of time to explore that. And, and oftentimes the stuff that I were talking about in the room, I then bring to therapy and use it as a way to talk about what's going on in, in my life now. And then some of the things that I will then discuss in therapy, I will then bring back to the room to be like, well, I've been trying to understand what my issues around intimacy are. And I, let's say, you know, so Big Mouth has been a long journey for me in, in that regard. And the beauty of, of this show has been, you know, being able to begin to explore the other elements of my life. Like, you know, I got married and had a baby while we were writing season one of the show. And there's some storylines around that. It's not necessarily, it's, it's really around a, my, around a, a woman's experience in postpartum, but she's got a partner. And so I, I could identify with what it feels like to have a, to be the partner of someone giving birth and, and postpartum. And so I, I think there, you're, we're always trying to draw on those things and, and bring, bring honestly the language that we're and the platform that we're using inside of the show to then to my real life and be like, oh, my anxiety mosquito was out of control today in dealing with that. Or actually my depression kitty is sitting pretty heavy on me today. Is that like, it, so I found it to be actually very useful tools for me to understand emotionally what I'm going through or what, mm -hmm. or process what I have gone through. Yeah. Brandon, Brandon, what about you? Where's your mental health journey in the show? Um, it, it's everywhere. <laughs> you know, I think, I think the show has made me value it even more. I was in therapy before and still am, but it made me value it even more because there's so much empathy in the writer's room and in the recording booth. And there's so much processing that we do and so much sharing that we do that it's like, Oh, that's, I've gone through that. Or, and, and you know, the, the ability to kind of dissipate the shame because we create mm. such a safe space to talk about these things and, and go through it. And then, you know, I think just in terms of even if Walter or myself haven't gone through the exact thing, there's a quote that I love um, by this philosopher, Terence, I am a human being, therefore nothing human can be alien to me. And I think for all of us, we're able to, on some level, if I can't even, if I don't understand the exact anxiety that you're going through or the exact experience, we're human and I understand what it is to, to love and to want to be loved and to be struggling with things. And so just being able to pull from that, I think allows us to still, even if we don't know the exact experience, it, it still allows us to pull from a very real place. Cause you just start realizing in all these conversations that like, we're all trying to figure it out. Like none of us have figured mm. this shit out and we're all processing and we're all going through it and we all have our own shit. And if we can be empathic to each other and kind to each other mm. in that, um, I think we can, we can, uh, and ourselves, I would just add oh, and ourselves, yes. I mean, yeah. the, which is the most weirdly, the, the most complicated of all. Most I, challenging I one to get to. Yeah. Oh, you can, yeah. Yes. you can wish the best for everybody else and then, and then never give yourself a fucking break. One thousand percent. Is there a place that I can sign up for a cult devoted to David Thewlis as the <laughs> shame wizard? Because holy shit, I it's, am in love with that guy. It's, I mean, he, you know, we, we started, when we started writing the shame wizard in season two, we had, we were watching Fargo, the show season three, and he was the villain on that. And he, he had this haunting, charming quality to him. And we, so we wrote it to his voice, assuming mm -hmm. he would be too busy and cool to do it. <laughs> he then shockingly agreed. And from that point on has been such a vocally supportive of what we're doing and, and made, has made himself as available as he can be to us considering how unbelievably busy he is. Um, 
but he's such a he's so funny and so good and that character to me is a, a perfect example of a character that is like oh the shame wizard he's a one-dimensional he creates shame but then once you start to dig in you know he then becomes this really complicated you know we meet his mother and we see where so much of that shame comes from yeah yeah well he's he's as complex as shame itself like it's a it's you know you're dealing with a great actor when he can pack so much history into the word mummy like every time yes. he says mummy you just mummy. feel it goes so deep to your heart right away so funny totally yes. Here's a bit of Nick Kroll as Maury the Hormone Monster from Human Resources. He's talking to Connie, another hormone monster, played by Maya Rudolph. It's cold in here. Are you finding it cold in here? I don't want to be too cold when I say it. Just so. say it. Jesus, it doesn't have to be such a big deal. <sighs> I love you, Connie. I love you, Maury. Oof. Okay. That wasn't so bad. Yeah. yeah it was kind of nice to say. So, what now? Should we, I don't know, make love? Sure thing, lover. That was... Not good. Very bad. I love you. Ew, ew, stop. That's nasty Yeah, it felt weird immediately coming out of my mouth. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Back with Nick Kroll and Brandon Kyle Goodman. Here's a little bit of Brandon as Walter the Love Bug. He's talking to Emmy, another love bug, played by A.D. Bryant. Okay, I'm taking a survey. Would you rather fart fire or pee ice? I'll pee ice? Duh. <laughs> Wait, why are you here and not with Becca? Oh, she doesn't need me bothering her right now. She just had a baby. So, you're avoiding her. Psh, no, I'm giving her space. Love is about many things, bug, but space is not one of them. Love is smothering, like a rogue nurse who's taken mercy into her own hands. Wow, I guess I have a lot to learn about love? Yeah, no shit. <gasps> I have an incredible idea. You should learn about love from the bug who knows the most about love, and that bug happens to be grabbing you by the collar right now. Are you gonna kill me? Ooh, better, honey. I'm gonna teach you. I asked Brandon what he hoped the show would accomplish. I was excited. You know, the episode that I wrote follows the doula for our main cast, reckons with mental health and what, what she's kind mm. of going through. And it was really important to me that she was black because mm. I was, you know, I really advocate for mental health, but especially inside of marginalized communities. And so the opportunity to do that, to like create a story that is around this black woman, but is not about her being black was exciting. And I think the show offers those opportunities to like, tell stories from various identities without it having to be about their identity. And that's what's really exciting because it just allows us to not have trauma always be the story, mm. um, but it allows the human experience and our humanity to be the story. Uh, so that's been really exciting in the show that there's so culturally, all the clients are so different um, and it's not about their culture. It's about their human experience. To, just to follow up on that, that and Brandon is... And, and so many of our writers are such great advocates for that type of storytelling, which makes for very rich final products. And and inside of that, really, it it makes everybody do more work in the best way. It makes mm -hmm. you it it because it doesn't allow you to re rely on 
either like default whiteness or or default tropes if mm-hmm. you're if you're dealing with marginalized communities it's actually a very good opportunity to in this public setting because i i had uh, during my wife's pregnancy we had it because of various circumstances a few different uh, black doulas. And so I want to be on the record here that is not based on them. This is Brandon's story yes. that, he, that, that they brought in to advocate yes. for. So I just need this in a very public setting that I did not create characters from my own life in this situation. But Brandon brings up an interesting thing about not only about the, specifically telling stories from different points of view, but also about in, in the case of this story about mental health and a much larger story, because I won't give away too much of it, but it, it ties into the larger arc of the season. But it's about when one of our creatures falls in love with a person. And we thought it was an interesting way to explore, like, if someone's having mental health issues, like, what is that intersection between a creature and a human falling in love as a way to express, oh, something, a, an imbalance has, has taken place? Mm-hmm. And what, what's a way to personify what, when mental health can become imbalanced in a way beyond just like, oh, I've been relying a lot on my depression kitty. Like, oh, I'm now emotionally involved with someone else's love bug. What does that mean? What, and what is, what, how, how could that be a, uh, a way to explore like a real break with in, in someone's mental health. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's a good model that the show uses. In many ways, it, what the show does is it takes to an extreme a lot of conversations about mental health that happen already, you know, where you talk about, I'm hearing this voice in my head telling me that I'm a terrible person. You're not literally hearing a voice, but it helps to personify it. It helps to put it in a character, you know, Mm -hmm. or like, you know, my depression is acting up. My, you know, my OCD is being a real jerk today. It's hard to talk about those things because they are formless and, you know, they don't have any atoms to them. And so it's like people might not be familiar with a depression kitty, but but I think they know (laughs) where you're going with it. Mm hmm. Yeah. I want to ask depression uh, in particular is is often shown in movies and TV to be just mere sadness, which is, you know, or anxiety is just being panicky. And it's shorthand, but it's often overly simplistic. Like you can have a depressive disorder and, you know, not lay around in bed listening to the Smiths. You can Mm -hmm. you, you can have a very. You know, you wouldn't even think to call it depression. I'm glad your show recognizes that that full dimension over stuff like that. What kind of responsibility do you think TV shows and movies have to get this kind of thing right? Oh, well, that's a very large. Please criticize all your peers is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very large. And it's, you know, I think. It's a weird, and I think I might have a different opinion on this than than Brandon. You know, I think like it's been an evolving thing from starting with Big Mouth, and we were just like trying to do. Ultimately, our first, for me, first and foremost, we have to make an entertaining show. We have to make a show that is funny. We are an animated comedy, but we quickly realized with Big Mouth that kids, in the in the case of Big Mouth, that kids were watching it. So we had to be very mindful of the messages that were, while we're not trying to send a specific message, we are we are aware that 
things are going to be absorbed and we have to be responsible for whatever could be absorbed beyond like the jokes. Human resources is not about children, but it is, I believe we have a responsibility in what we're saying that the the science of, of the emotions that we're talking about add up and, and that emotions and people going through them are not monoliths. And mm-hmm. so how do you, and we, Brandon can speak to this, we spent a lot of time in the room trying to figure out how do you tell a specific story that doesn't say like, this is what everyone's experience with depression is like, or this is what everyone's experience with dementia is like. How do you tell us, you know, how, so, and it's something that we're, is an co- ongoing conversation, I would say. Is that fair, Brendan? Yeah, we, I think we're, we're constantly walking that line because I think you can represent, we try to represent an experience, not the experience, if that makes sense. I think we talk about the experience and put it all in a bucket. And then it, I remember, I think this was in season four or five with Matthew, and there were a bunch of queer writers in the room, and we were all kind of talking about our coming out experiences, and everyone had like a different one, and we were trying to figure out which was the one. And I remember Andrew said something like, well, we can't, you know, we can't do it all, right? It has to be one for Matthew. So I think that that's the thing. We start with the experience, and then we kind of whittle it down to, make sure it's authentic to at least an experience that our character can follow Mm. through and Mm. never i think you have to like i don't think we can take the pressure of being like this has to represent everybody but if we represent an experience as authentically as possible i think it satisfies people it's when it's really broad strokes and then you miss those moments those nuggets that i think are frustrating as an audience or as a viewer yeah and and speaking specifically to depression we we covered in a few different ways i think the story from season one, you know, we have a woman who's given birth, voiced by Ali Wong, and she then is dealing with the anxiety and emotions of having given birth, and then has she ready to go back to work, and then the malaise and, and the postpartum depression, and, you know, and, and trying to be specific to her, what makes sense for her character, the makeup that, you know, where she is a was a person who had worked a ton, had a really strong ambition gremlin, uh, had a loving husband. W- what was specific to her character and the, the what is true, as Brandon's saying, what is true to her experience? So we're not saying like, this is what depression feels like for everyone. And this is what postpartum depression feels like for everyone. What made sense for this, the alchemy of this particular character and how can we be as true to that experience as possible? Yeah, that arc, I mean, that was in the first season of Human Resources, and the postpartum depression angle was one of my favorite parts of the show, because I thought it, it really it it hit deep and it hit very truthful to to that character, but in a way that does happen to a lot of people. Is it hard to keep something like that truthful when it's also a scene with cartoon bugs and cats and Maria Bamford as a neurotic <laughs> mosquito? Mm-hmm. No, I think it, it makes it easier you have because you have all of these, like we all do in any moment, we have a variety of emotions all swirling around us at one time. We're rarely just one. Uh, I'm rarely just like Nick Kroll or I'm rarely just my ambition gremlin talking to you. I'm I'm all of those things. So in a way, it, it allows us to have the, the actual multitude of, we are multitudes like that we can have a, the, the a conversation where our character really deal with the 360 the 360ness of, of, a, of a, an actual experience and we have all these characters that advocate for these different emotions that a character is going through so I actually find it a great way to generate comedy but also a, a way to generate authenticity yeah is it 
a challenge then also to try to fit all those things in? Like you look at a human situation, like you said, there's there can be depression and ambition and all sorts of other things going on. Do you have to remember, oh, we got to get that guy in there. We got to give everybody a line. Yeah, I would just go, Brandon, go ahead. And I don't know if I know, so we, we do talk about that a lot. Like sometimes we're like, oh, are there too many creatures yeah. right now? <laughs> you know, and, go ahead. And at certain moments we'll be like, we got to pull, like, you know, Maury the hormone monster is only in here for one line. Like we don't need him. It's, it's literally crowding the room. Yeah. So there are times where it's like we have to remove, it's a funny line or it's a, someone's advocating for, you know, a moment of anxiety. It's like you always want Maria Bamford in a scene. Sure. But. It, but at times you do pull you do pull the creatures out because it's just it, it, it literally gets the crap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think because the the all those the language is there, right? Like the people know who those characters are. So even if they're not present, I feel like the audience does the work to know that something else could be lurking. But what's the main thing that's present is what we personify, right? Like if shame is the main thing, then that's what we'll make sure is David is there. <laughs> Are you trying to educate an audience about all these facets of a human being, all these parts of of mental and emotional health? Is that part of your thinking? Brandon and I might have differing opinions, or, you know, we're obviously both individuals inside us. (laughs) My instinct is to not try to educate. My instinct is to present a version of this and let people come to their own conclusions or, or... absorb it however they choose to because it feels to to try to tell the audience what you're saying or educate them it it feels like i know as an audience member i i i pull back when i feel like i'm being educated so my instinct is to present something and and let them absorb it however they want yeah i think the education happens just because it happens but that's never the conversation in the room the conversation is what's the story and what's the truth of this moment and how do you and tell this story and and maybe even like what's the lesson but not necessarily like oh let's educate people about this thing and this is exactly what you need to take away from it more so here's the experience and i think what it actually ends up doing which is why i, I love the show I was a fan of big mouth before is that it gives you the language to articulate your own experiences. Even if it's not exact, even if you, you're like, you can't do anything about it, you're like, oh, that is what I've experienced. I, oh, maybe I, it is depression. Maybe that is shame. Maybe it is anxiety. And it gives people language to articulate these human mm. things that we experience. That's hard to talk about, right? Like if you were to pull the creatures out of the show, sometimes the show would maybe be depressing. Like if we were just talking about our, you know, a grandmother with dementia, that might not be, you know, able to be processed. It might not be as received. It might be too hard to watch, but because Mm -hmm. of Walter and these other characters, we're able to actually facilitate harder conversations, I think, in the long run. Totally. Well, that's what, that's what good art does. You're uh, (laughs) turning from, from uh, art to uh, graphic language. Your characters are very open about everything, especially the hormone monsters, often to a surprising degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like nobody holds anything back in the show, which is which is wonderful. Do you think people need to be more like these creatures in hmm. society? Hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish they were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everything is so taboo. Do you think then too, Nick, that that this is that you want to kind of pry something loose in society with 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 uh 
the way the characters yeah, talk. Yeah, I mean, so, selfishly, I, I want to pry something loose in myself. You know,、mm. it's like I want to like I do believe the more that we can name our monsters and our creatures, the more that we can begin to come to peace with them and and harness their power. I still don't feel like I have the the full capabilities of them, even though I've been exploring them now for many seasons, and then so I I. I I think that there's great utility in in understanding them and and getting to know these creatures, it, both for the show, but for myself selfishly, you know, of just like being like, and I think that, I mean, like I think it's just like a lifelong journey that we're all on of trying to get to know our our creatures and and understand them and and have them understand us and and understand when we need them and when we don't. It's funny you talk about naming these creatures inside you, and it occurs to me that you've done this as a job now for quite some time, literally naming the creatures <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> inside of someone. I mean, how are you holding up on that journey, Nick? If you've got all these seasons of Big Mouth that inspired by part of your life, and you go back and forth with your therapist, how are your boundaries? <laughs> how is your how is your、uh, feeling of exposure to the general public? How are you holding up? Um, for the most part, good. For the most part, I, I I would never trade what we've been doing and and the exploration we've been on. You know, there are times where it's exhausting and those boundaries blur and it's hard to if you spend all day talking about your anxiety or your depression or your your sexual interests or your sexual hangups. Sometimes it's hard to. Detach and disconnect from those, and then you、mm. go home to your life. And those Tito, the anxiety mosquito, is now he, you've been talking about them all day, and, talk, and they're they're there with you at night, or the depression kitty, or or your hormone monster, like th- those things. Sometimes it's hard to disconnect from them,、um, mm. and that can be that can be exhausting and trying. But ultimately, it's like good work to be done because it means that you're thinking about these. These elements of who you are, and trying to trying to understand them better, and that that ultimately is good. It just can be exhausting. Is that fair to say, Brandon? Yeah, the, I think I <laughs> there were once or two times where I, like after a day, I, I wrote Nick and Andrew and Mark and Jen like some chaotic email because I had like this vulnerability hangover from like shit, you know, feeling like you overshared,、yeah. and you're just like, I don't know if this was like received the right, but and yeah, they're yeah. All, like, they're like, no, it's. <laughs> Fine, we, you know, but it is you're you're dredging up you're you're digging up all this stuff in the moment, and and to then leave the room, you're just like, wait, what? And so like trying to find、um, a way to like reground, yeah, settle, and and especially、yourself. and especially now with with the fact that we're no longer in person. Oh yeah, like you used to have a drive home. <laughs> like you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Stop and get a the, snack or something. Yeah, you yeah. like leave the room at like you know five forty-five and have like a twenty-minute ride home, and then you're home and you're like, huh? How was the day? Like, okay. And then like, but now it's like, I walk out of this room and I'm in the kitchen with my wife and child, and there's just no transition. And I think we all, whatever we're doing, we all are lacking that buffer. And、yeah. that can make for very complicated transitions. It can be taxing, just like anything else. When, I mean, I've been doing shows like this for for a long time. It used to be I'd go out to L.A. and my producer would book like three or four interviews in a day of. 
people telling me the entire story of their mental health. And after two interviews, I'm like, I have to go take a nap because I'm completely (laughs) juiced by all this. You know, when I think about the idea of monsters or things that don't exist in the real world, creatures, and then holding them up to human emotions, has anybody compared the show to either an R-rated Inside Out or a very dirty Sesame Street? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, but but both are obviously like, it, it, it's impossible to ignore. I think we, we got to human resources very organically, but it's impossible to ignore Inside Out as, as, a, as a movie that so beautifully did a, some version of what we're doing here. Such a phenomenal piece of art and such beautiful storytelling. And yet we felt like we were continuing to build something that felt wholly its own and Mm-hmm. And different. And Sesame Street, I mean, it's a it's a very funny I've never thought of it that way, but I I mean we all grew up watching Sesame Street and and absorbing some really useful lessons inside of that, you know. So I'll take both of those for as pull quotes. Nick Kroll and Brandon Kyle Goodman from Human Resources. Good work, gentlemen, and thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Take care. Have a great day. Human Resources premieres March 18th on Netflix. Pretty great cast, too. Henry Winkler, Rosie Perez, Janelle Monet, Hugh Jackman, Lupita Nyong'o, tons more. After the break, what happens to your texts when you text Crisis Text Line? We'll look into that. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy Brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother, and Me? Maximum Fun is a network by and for cool, popular people. But did you know it also has an offering designed to appeal to nerds? A show for nerds? On Maximum Fun? The devil, you say? It's true. It's called The Greatest Generation, and they review episodes of a television program for nerds called Star Trek. They've reviewed TNG, DS9, and are now reviewing Voyager. Hey, Star Trek. My daughter enjoys that program. Well, if she enjoys that, and she enjoys humor of the flatulent variety, might I recommend she subscribe to The Greatest Generation? Hey, are you calling my kid a nerd? Why, I oughta... Well, gotta go! Become a friend of DeSoto by subscribing to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org today! If you've been paying really close attention to our show's credits every week, and I assume you have, why would you not, you may have noticed a slight change. We still mention the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, but we have paused mentioning the crisis text line like we used to do every week. 
And that change was made because there were some recent revelations in the press about Crisis Text Line and how they were using all the text messages they received, many of which are from people in great emotional distress. It's a security issue. It's a privacy issue. So we called Chet Wisniewski. He writes the Naked Security blog for the security firm Sophos. Hello, Chet. Hi, John. Good to speak with you again. You know, we've known each other for many years, and I still just get tripped up on Sophos versus Sophos. Is there a preference? I don't think so. I, I was okay. I was once corrected by a Greek gentleman while I was traveling when I was wearing a shirt with a logo on it, and he uh -huh. insisted that it's Sophos. So we're oh. not even putting the emphasis on the right syllable. <laughs> <laughs> well... You know, we'll, we'll soldier through on all that. But in the meantime, what was the issue with Crisis Text Line? What were they up to? Well, Crisis Text Line has a rather complicated business arrangement, we'll call it, in order to provide the service free of charge to those in need. Uh, I'm not sure I have my head entirely around it, but my understanding was at the time it was founded, they also co-founded a uh, art artificial intelligence firm that was a for-profit entity so that some of the profits from the for-profit entity could be used to fund the free non-profit crisis text line service. Okay, so then if someone is using the crisis text line, their words, their messages, their text messages are being poured into an artificial intelligence company that is for-profit and used for customer service software? That is my understanding of how it worked. That's correct. Now, Crisis Text Line was careful to mention that they were, quote, anonymizing, air quotes there, the information before submitting it into the artificial intelligence model. And it's hard to explain how these artificial intelligence systems work to non-mathematicians. But in essence, you're sort of programming what they call a model to understand, say, typical questions and typical responses is what they were trying to tease out. Like, how would a person respond to a certain kind of thing? So the service being provided to the people asking for help on the text line was intended to sort of teach this computer how most often somebody might respond to a given type of question or query. And we've talked about something similar to this before with Talkspace, which was also facing the same issue of using the recordings of people meeting with a therapist and anonymizing that and using it to kind of build, a, I guess, a database of commonly used words. Is this similar to that? It's very similar situation. Uh, and one of the reasons, you know, when this news broke around the end of January of 2022, I was a little surprised because I was maybe too optimistic that with some of the controversy around Talkspace, that perhaps some of the others that might have been doing similar things could have maybe learned from that and not repeated their mistakes. Uh, I guess whether it's a mistake or not is uh, in, the eye, in the eye of the beholder, of course. Those that are privacy advocates are quite concerned about this because anonymizing data has never really worked. We've a long history of data sets that have been made publicly available or have been fed into computer algorithms that have been very easy to de-anonymize, if you will, and actually identify people that may be using the service. And when I was asked about this particular service, when I heard it was free, my immediate thought was, who's funding it? Is it a, funded by the government? Is it funded by some not-for-profit organization? And when I found out it was funded by a partner organization, all the alarm bells kind of went off. Now, 
I've used Gmail for many, many years, and I've always understood this to be part of the bargain with Gmail. Like they, they can serve me ads based on the words that I have in my in my emails, and in exchange, I get a, a pretty good email service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not going to say it's great. It's pretty good. How is this different than that? Is it just that on a crisis text or in a therapy session, you're going to be talking about more profound things, and and in a Gmail, you might be talking about products more often. Like like, why is this a transgression, and something like Gmail isn't seen as one? I think, from my viewpoint, the difference is the intended design of that product. Uh, the Gmail product is not marketed to you as a medical service or as a confidential tool. I mean, Google, I think, is very good at respecting that they're not going to read your emails. Uh, their, their, their computers are reading your emails, no different than the computers are reading the texts from Crisis Text Line. But to me, it's the context of how you approach the service. Maybe things are different here in Canada, but my perception when I'm offered free mental health tools here, most of that is funded by the government and as a public initiative to provide people medical treatment that they need. And we don't think about funding that through for-profit partnerships. And I understand that since this news broke, there was a big story in Politico, and there's been some other articles about this uh, practice with Crisis Text Line. They have now backed off this practice? That's my understanding. They've they've suspended continuing to feed the AI algorithm. Um, there still seems to be a business relationship between the for-profit arm and the non-profit arm, and it's unclear why that relationship is still there or how that works exactly. There were some changes in management as well. Originally, both of these organizations had a co-CEO that had founded both of them, and uh, she is no longer associated with the crisis text line. And, and there's been some interesting introspection from board members at Crisis Text Line as well. There's a rather famous technologist, uh, Dana Boyd, who goes by at Zephoria on Twitter. She's very well known and respected, works at Microsoft. And she wrote a rather detailed 6,000 word blog explaining some of the thought process of how they were trying to balance providing this service for free without stepping across the line and kind of acknowledge that perhaps they stepped a little too far. As somebody who who lives and breathes security and and privacy online, would you at this point advise people to hey here's here's how you get a hold of Crisis Text Line if you're in a pinch, you know text these people. Would you personally recommend this service at this point? I think if someone is in a crisis situation and needs help, I would not discourage them from reaching out to anybody that they can to receive the help that they need. Ideally, we sadly live in a world where we need to question where money is coming from when something's being offered for free and understand that trade-off like you understand the trade-off with gmail and and for many people that may not have good health coverage to be able to have more expensive private counseling and things i wouldn't want to see them go without the help they need but if there are other free services provided by your community health uh, in your county or your city and other things you if for privacy purposes, you may wish to take advantage of other free services if they're funded through donations or government support. Chad Wisniewski from the security firm Sophos. Thank you so much. Thanks, John.
Well, let's uh, let's find ourselves here a little bit. Let's uh, find our a little bit of peace, perhaps. I hope a little bit of peace. Laura House is with us once again to take us through a meditation moment. Hi, Laura. Hi. And uh, we're going to, I, you know, I don't think we're going to achieve total enlightenment, but maybe we'll have some nice breaths. Maybe that's yeah. Uh, we'll just have like a a little rest. Yeah. I have found in my in in being a teacher, sometimes people will use meditation as just even yet one more thing they beat themselves up about. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't, I know I should. Like, it's the I know I should. And yeah. I was thinking how, think of it as like a snack. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, think of it as that thing that's there for you that you want and it feels good and you'd like to have it as opposed to like, yeah. w- one more thing you're mad about. Yeah, wander wander through your mental kitchen and stop and get the potato chips of meditation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, let's dive on in. Go ahead. Okay. So it's pretty easy. All we do is first just get comfortable somewhere. You want to be somewhere you can close your eyes. So this is not for the driving. So you get comfortable, close your eyes. Then just notice your breath. It might be the first time today or the first time this week or ever. Let's just notice it. And you'll also have thoughts. You're not trying to get rid of thoughts. Your brain will keep making thoughts. And you'll notice that your attention wanders into your thoughts. And when you're aware of that, you just glance back at your breath again. Just let go. Go ahead and open your eyes. Was that something? That was, you know what I've really grown (laughs) to love is the getting distracted uh, and like my mind wandering towards the things I have to do today and then Mm. allowing the gentle slide back into the breath. Yeah. Not beating myself up, just sort of that gentle, ah, kind of easing back in. Oh, that's so, that's so well said. That really is in, in what these little moments are of just eyes open, I am connected to all this stuff outside of me. Like I need this and where's my parking and I have to this and all that. I have to read this and I have to have form an opinion. Right. And this is like, oh, I'm, ju- I'm just, oh. Ah, I can just oh. return. I could just mentally sit down again. I, I live here. <laughs> Laura House is the co-host of the Tiny Victories podcast right here on Maximum Fun. You can find more about Laura and meditation at laurahouse.com. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Next time on Depression Mode, Liz had to figure out how to find a stable life because her mother's mental health problems meant she couldn't really learn by example. I was not allowed to close my door. If she felt I was being too private from her, she would take it off the hinges. When I misbehaved, she would threaten to have me followed in the street by people. Um, She just was not able to separate from me in any way at all. And I kind of lived, I'm I'm thinking of like an alien situation where the, the big gloop monster just like surrounds you and and pulls you in, but (laughs) I was just sort of subsumed by her. Author Liz Shire on seeking stability with an unstable parent. 
If people support our show through a small donation, we can keep being here together. I like being here with you. If not, if people don't support it, well, then we can't be together anymore. If you donate, you are making Depression Mode happen. Thank you. You're helping your fellow human. If you haven't donated yet, it's easy. Find a level that works for you at MaximumFun.org slash join. Be sure to hit subscribe on Depression Mode. Do that now, please. Give us five stars. Write reviews. All that helps more people find out about the show, which helps our mission of getting those conversations happening. Please know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. I encourage you to read up on the crisis text line and the privacy issues surrounding it. We have a link in our show notes if you want to reach the crisis text line. It is always free and always available. Text HOME to 741741. Our electric mail address is depressmode at maximumfun.org. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DepressPod. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. Search it up. I'm on Twitter at John Moe. In my backyard, there was a squirrel in a tree right by the fence, and my dog Sally was very excited and barked at it a lot, even though she could not even come close to reaching it. That squirrel's been gone for weeks, and Sally keeps going back to the same tree, barking at it, hoping to, I guess, manifest a squirrel. Dogs. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings. No one knows the reason. Maybe there's no reason. I just keep believing. No one knows the answer. Maybe there's no answer. I just keep on dancing. Hey, y'all out there. This is Vita from San Antonio, Texas. Remember, tiny victories lead to epic wins. You got this. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.